Case 45 from the Shoyoroku. The introduction. A manifest koan depends solely on right now. The fundamental family style does not go beyond the fundamental. If you forcibly set up divisions and foolishly expend efforts, it's all drawing eyebrows for chaos, putting a handle on a ball. So how is tranquility achieved? The main case. Attention. The Sutra of Complete Awakening says, at all times, do not produce deluded thoughts. Also, do not try to annihilate deluded states of mind. In the realm of false conception, do not apply knowledge. And do not find reality in no knowledge. The verse. Magnificent, clearly outstanding, serene, at ease. Clamor pierces the head. Walking along in tranquil places, underfoot, the thread is cut, and I am perfectly free. The spot of mud on the nose is gone. You don't need to chop. Do not be disturbed. A prescription written on a thousand-year-old paper. Last Sunday, I spoke about Dongshan's five stages of realization. And I ended the talk with saying that the various descriptions of realization process all lead to this moment. And they all point to the one sitting on this cushion, right here, now, today. Which means that it inevitably includes our current circumstances, our emotional and psychological entanglements, our personal and collective karma, the current state of our society, and each and every being we share this reality with. And the fact that Zen practice ultimately leads right back to where we already are is often most challenging for practitioners to accept since it is common to step into spiritual path with an expectation that the practice will, at some point, carry us away from the mess of our everyday life and from consequences of our karma or whatever entanglements we may find ourselves to be or circumstances that we don't like. Coming into practice with a conceptual or intellectual idea of enlightenment and having expectations about the way we need to travel or what we will encounter along the way, we often form a fixed image of it. After practicing for a while, we realize that the image we form in our mind is very different from actual daily practice or from what it is, moment by moment practice, traditional practice. And that can be very disappointing. So disappointing to a point of wanting to hold on to the image and let go of the practice. This is one of the many ego-based attachments we need to let go of as we deepen our understanding of what practice and enlightenment really mean. That's why there is a saying that hearing the name is better than seeing the face. And we want to hold on to the name and reject the face. And so since it, is, it always boils down to today, I thought it would be good for us to pause for a moment and examine basic aspects of our zazen and how we apply them in everyday life. And for maintaining a healthy practice, it is crucial for each, each of us to sustain a living inquiry into the state of our being at every moment, off and on the cushion. Kind of like asking, where am I now? 
Where am I now? Where am I now? That's how we apply awareness on the cushion, off the cushion. As you've heard and read in multiple occasions, the Buddha did not create anything. He simply realized what he was in essence, which is, of course, what we all are in essence. It is our original, untarnished, and unaccumulated birthright. And it is always there as our true abode that provides a source of unconditional ease and contentment. Often it provides we reject. Yet it is not uncommon to find ourselves tormented by thoughts and feelings of doubt, anxiety, worry, discontent, inadequacy, and a general sense of not being at ease. As practitioners, it is important that we kind of get used to that, that that's the way it is. Occasionally, we encounter it again and again and again. This is where the great trust comes in, regardless of how we feel, we maintain the resolve. We keep going. We fall down, we get up. So why is there such a discrepancy? How can our true abode be there at all times, yet at the same time feel so out of reach or we feel so out of touch with it? And the answer to this lies in, in the ways we become vested in our thoughts and emotions that comprise the story of our lives and the fear of losing the identity we have become attached to as the one who is experiencing the passing thoughts and emotions. Who am I if I release the grip of the story and let go of my thoughts? Who am I when the attention expands from the foreground to the background? We have to ask, what substantiates the passing thoughts that they appear, they appear to be so solid, so real, to a point of actually believing and going along with it? And not just believing, going along with it, having experience of going along with it, becoming exhausted, seeing there's not much there, and then doing it again and again. And the grip may be so tight, very tight, it may give us the impression that there is something solid and fixed. But again, we have to inquire, is it so? Is it true? We have to be willing to inquire. Wang Po said, ordinary people are unwilling to empty their mind. Unwilling to empty their minds. That's not what we think, obviously. I'd love to empty my mind. I'm willing. How do I do it? It's what we say. But it is actually divorced from what we do. We say a lot of things. But then the doing often will not match. Ordinary people are unwilling to empty their minds. They're afraid they'll fall into emptiness, unaware that their own minds are already empty. The fool gets rid of phenomena and not the mind. The wise gets rid of the mind and not phenomena. We also say that the fool tries to work with phenomena to match himself or herself rather than let go of the way we encounter, work with it, meet it. The Bodhisattva's mind is like space. The Bodhisattva gives away everything, outside and inside. 
Such great renunciation is like walking with a candle before you. You can't get lost. Lesser renunciation is like walking with a candle to one side or behind you. You're bound to fall into a ditch. Now we know what that feels like, obviously. You can adjust. Now it may be useful to note that the phrase empty the mind does not mean stop thinking, suppress, or get rid of thoughts. It is pointing to our grasping nature that leads us astray and creates the illusion of an unchanging self or reality. But since it is not so, sooner or later, our fixed idea collide with reality and we experience the pain of falling into a ditch. So to renounce all attachments and let go is a direct way to be in alignment with reality and with our true nature. That's what it takes. Complete, utter, emptying out of everything. Everything. Ajahn Shah said, if you let go a little, you will have a little peace. If you let go a lot, you will have a lot of peace. If you let go completely, you will be free. And this is what we work on during Zazen. But of course, it's not a matter of flipping a switch and letting go. It is rather a process that consists of developing deep states of awareness and concentration so we can recognize the movement of mind and our patterns of grasping and following thoughts, emotions, and mental formations. And so this koan brings up four very important lines from a 12-chapter scripture titled The Sutra of Complete Awakening. And it is basically an all-inclusive instructions, always important for us, all-inclusive instructions for Zazen and mobilizing Zazen. So the first line says, be at all times without deluded thoughts arising. Now we look at it and think, well, sounds great, but that's not how I experience Zazen. Or whatever thought arises when we hear this. And lingering on that thought or any other thought that arises is just adding to deluded thoughts. Any thought that arises can potentially be adding to the, the pile of deluded thoughts already floating around in the mind. Any thought. I agree, I disagree. It means this, it means that. Be at all times. How about just that? How about just be? How about making it so minute that the mind doesn't know what to do with it? is why the less we think and talk the more we experience the more we think and talk the more we go astray so basic zazen instructions begin with clarifying that we're not trying to stop the thinking process we're not trying to ignore what's going on thoughts arise thoughts vanish arise subsist and vanish continuously and that's not an issue. It doesn't matter what the thought is or what's the, what's the nature of thought. It is actually benign as it's arising. 
a split second later or even simultaneously, it is no longer so for us. The thought is still that way. It's just that what happens when it arises, and this is where awareness is so important, is so important. Not just awareness as an idea, but continuously developed or developing awareness continuously. Sharpening that sword on a regular basis so it truly cuts through. Manjushri sword. So thoughts arise and vanish. And as long as we don't string them into a story or solidify them or follow them, it's fine. We allow them to arise. We allow them to subsist. We allow them to subside. We are willing, as one post said, we are willing to allow them. We are willing to allow for everything. Because if we're not willing, we're not letting go. So what is a deluded thought? Reality can only be experienced right here, right now. So any thought that grabs our attention will pull us away from being in alignment with this and will create an alternate version of reality which can seem very real. In fact, it becomes real for us. When we sit in Zazen, we naturally experience different sensations and emotions that arise, stick around, and disappear. Those experiences do not come with a label or a definition or fixed definition, but the mind impulsively reacts by attaching mental interpretations that appear to be defining, categorizing, and boxing them. And so this is just a common impulsive and habitual reaction of the thinking mind. What when we believe it to be true, a true representation of reality, it becomes true. And this is a very important point that we have to keep in mind. It will become true. We can't just dismiss it as, well, there's nothing there. Because when we look at our lives, it doesn't look like there is nothing there because when we believe it to be true and we obey it and we create a life based on that and we protect, defend, argue about that, of course it's true. It is my truth. And I'll make sure that the world is aware of that. So, for example, when we experience a physical discomfort or restlessness during zazen, the mind may create or react by producing a thought that says, I can't do this any longer. This is too difficult. I need to get up and walk away. How do we meet? such a thought, such thoughts. When we believe that such thoughts are correct interpretations of our experiences, they become solidified. We become contracted and the discomfort and restlessness, in fact, intensify and grow. I am restless. That thought or that statement verifies something and then by verifying it, it echoes back. Yes, I am restless. Oh, I don't like this. Yes, I don't like this. I just heard it, saying it. Then it becomes real. Then it becomes a lot more painful, a lot more restless. So that's one way. Another way. If we observe the reactive mind without reacting to the thoughts it produces and experience the discomfort, the restlessness, the resistance, whatever it is, without adding any interpretations, without adding anything to it, we become expanded and will often experience a shift 
and a loosening in the discomfort. That's renunciation. That's letting go. In fact, that's letting go not as an idea. That's letting go in real time, dealing with my own karma, dealing with my own reactivities. Not just letting go. There is no such thing apart of how it shows up in my life, in my zazen, in my relationships, in the way I meet the world. Moment by moment, renunciation. What is renunciation? I don't know. I have to look. What am I holding on to? Renunciation is not defined. So don't run, look for a definition for that. Because there is no such thing. But there is the living reality of moment by moment, staying aware, seeing how the grasping hand works and letting go. That's alive. Anything else is dead. And this is the same process on and off the cushion while meeting challenging people, situations, people that may say things we don't like to hear even to us. We feel offended by something. How can you say this to me? I'm insulted. Yeah, so what I want to do is change you so I don't have to take any responsibility to do anything so I can stay the same. Why? Because this is how I know myself to be. And I don't know anyone else other than that. Because I've lived with that all my life. So instead of looking at how I, what I can do, I'm going to walk around and change everything. This is, in Buddhism, it's equated to walking around all over the world and having thorns, right? And trying to avoid thorns or cut them. And then the other option is just to put shoes on, right? So the other option is rather than, than try to shoot down anything that comes up and annoys us, is to look at this one here that is feeling annoyed. What about that? Well, no, but officially that is considered an insult. Look at the definition. So I should be insulted. I have a right to be insulted. This is just a small example. There are many examples of how we feel righteous, self-righteous about whatever arises in the mind and becomes solidified. And what we need to do is examine. This is the whole point of practice. Inquire. Get in touch. See. Because if I think that this is difficult, it becomes difficult. And if I think that this is easy, I will fall on my face very quickly. To a point of maybe ditching the practice. So neither difficult nor easy. Because it is undefined. And we are undefined. You are undefined. The second line says, Moreover, with regard to all deluded states of mind, do not try to extinguish them. You can shift. So in regards to all deluded states of mind, do not try to extinguish them. 
So where do deluded thoughts come from? And what gives them this sense of substantiation and solidity? If we recognize that all thoughts arise out of nothing and have no owner, there is no one there to produce any issue and leave traces behind. And so what arises is left as is. And being left as is, chances are it will vanish quicker on its own. Everything has shelf life. All is transient. Don't push, don't pull. Don't reject it. Don't become too interested in it. Allow it to be there. And the second line is saying, do not try to extinguish them because they do arise, because we do find ourselves stuck. So even when we find ourselves stuck, don't call it being stuck. Don't call it anything. So at any given point, any given moment, there is that possibility to return to that state of just observing rather than the one who is getting deeply involved in what arises. So the the, the exit point is always there, no matter how stuck we feel. It's available. As long as we don't try to extinguish, not trying to extinguish, trying to push it away, trying to eradicate something, creates more of the same. Because if I try to extinguish it, I am verifying to myself that there is something solid there to be extinguished. Then, of course, I am solidifying it. I'm verifying that there is something there to get rid of. Then I work very hard to try to eradicate what's not there. It's not possible. I get more frustrated. We know what happens then. So let it be. The third line says, dwelling in the realm of delusion. Dwelling in the realm of delusion. Do not add discriminating knowledge. So regardless of how lost in thought we may find ourselves in, there is always, always an immediate way back to reality as long as we develop and sustain some level of awareness, whether we are sitting zazen or engaged in everyday life. The second you realize you're dwelling in the realm of delusive thoughts, do not add any thoughts or judgments. Do not compare the experience to any other experiences you may have had or would like to have. Do not give it any labels, definitions, and do not reject it. When we fully acknowledge the state of mind we're in, we can shift and snap out of it. But it does require fully owning up, acknowledging. Recognition and non-resistance are extremely powerful when we know how to use them. When we try to look for reasons and explanations for being stuck in the realm of delusion, we only get further stuck. The most conducive and freeing question we can raise is, now what? Now what? The fourth line says, when knowledge is absent, do not distinguish reality. Now, maybe you practice for a while, opened up the grasping hand of thought, let go of things, and able to see through old habits. And then one day you may suddenly experience this amazing breakthrough. And for a moment, all the walls are dropped. You feel one with your surroundings. Incredible experience. And then you may think or you may encounter a thought that says, I got it. I got it. I've exited 
the realm of delusion and have entered the realm of realization. And this is what is distinguishing reality, creating this versus that and establishing a fixed gap. So the Diamond Sutra says, dwelling nowhere, raise the body-mind. Do not dwell means to not create a mental construct of a dwelling place or a non-dwelling place equally. Or at least we can be aware of the tendency of the mind to create mental constructs. And then, then when we are aware of it, let it, allow it to dissipate and crumble simply by not residing in it or by not stringing it into something else. Huineng, Sikh Patriarch, said, successive thoughts do not stop. Past thoughts, present thoughts, and future thoughts follow one after the other without cessation. It's not what we want to hear. It's just the way it is. If one instant thought is cut off, he says, the Dharma body separates from the physical body, and in the midst of successive thoughts, there will be no place for attachment to anything. If one instant of thought clings, then successive thoughts cling. One thought, one thought that we cling to becomes hell for us, becomes lots of suffering. Now, of course, being so generous, we share suffering with others and we want to make other people also miserable. One instant of thought clings, then successive thoughts cling. This is known as being fettered, being chained. If in all things successive thoughts do not cling, then you are unfettered. Unfettered, you are free. Therefore, non-abiding is made the basis. Non-abiding. Non-abiding simply means recognizing the nature of mind, the nature of thought, the nature of emotions by observation, studying, seeing it, seeing how it works, seeing that it arises. We may make a big deal of it or we may have made a big deal of it in the past. We look back, we see we made a big deal of nothing, we realized of something, we realized there's nothing and then we look back, why the hell did I get so caught up in this? Why did it matter to me so much? So we have to learn from that. And then non -ab and not abide, and non-abiding is made the basis, as Huineng said. Not by hearing it or reading it, but by experiencing it ourselves. We know what works and what doesn't. And this is what we practice over and over again. Dwelling nowhere. We arouse the mind that sees and knows how to cut through our story-making habits. Having no fixed abode and no fixed self, we tend to home affairs. We take care of life. Take good care of this body and its natural needs. We next said, if one instant of thought clings, then successive thoughts cling. In basic instructions, again for Zazen, we guide beginners to simply observe thoughts appearing, thoughts disappearing, and be careful to not engage, not to get hooked, not to think the thought that arises. Because the, the moment we bite the bait and begin munching on the thoughts, successive thoughts will follow, and we experience what we call chain thinking. And worrying as well. We worry. We think some more. Then we worry some more. And the emotions come up. And we are lost again. And again and again. So 
one moment we're there, we're fully there, then the next moment we are fully gone, lost in thoughts. Good thoughts, bad thoughts, pleasant sensations, unpleasant sensations, memories of past, future rising thoughts, they're all meaningless, selfless, and life-restricting when grasped. It's not that we can learn. Of course we do. It's the grasping that makes the difference. The challenge of, of practitioner is arriving at this fundamental conclusion by diligent and relentless practice and observation. <clears throat> Manjushri, the Bodhisattva of Wisdom, asked Vimalakirti, what is the basis of the body? Vimalakirti said, craving is the basis of the body. Manjushri then asked, what is the basis of craving? And Vimalakirti said, False discrimination is the basis of craving. Now this is actually step by step describing how we need to observe, how we need to arrive at that conclusion. Rather than have a fixed idea about what arises, we have to look at what's going on here. What gives rise to this? So false discrimination is the basis of craving. Manjushri then asked, What's the source of false discrimination? And Vimalakirti said, erroneous thinking is the source of discrimination. Then Manjushri asked, what's the source of erroneous thinking? Vimalakirti said, non-abiding is the basis. Then Manjushri asked, what's the basis of non-abiding? And then Vimalakirti said, non-abiding has no basis, Manjushri. All things arise from this non-abiding root. If all things arise of non-abiding, they return to non-abiding because they're always there, then isn't that freedom? Isn't that the bottom line? And isn't that saying that the sense of abiding is self-made. But then again, arriving at that conclusion, not because we hear it, we have to inquire rather than give rise to the arising thoughts or the interpretations of the arising thoughts. We need to inquire, what's going on here? Why am I so upside down over this? Messed up over that. Why? Is it really that important? The pointer said the manifest Quran depends solely on right now. The fundamental family style does not go beyond the fundamental. If you forcibly set up divisions and foolishly expand your efforts, it's all drawing eyebrows for chaos, putting a handle on the wall, so how is tranquility achieved? The word koan means public case. And it's called public for two main reasons. First, it is dealing with universal experiences we all go through, regardless of time, regardless of culture. So what the koan reveals is relevant to everyone. And the second, is always, is always pointing to what is publicly revealed in the open domain, right here, right now, available to all. What we're practicing is a living tradition that stays alive or can stay alive only through our authentic expressions and only through us realizing the essence today. To be natural, to be unassuming, to be willing to inquire, not drawing eyebrows on chaos, the, the words. So this is uh, based on a legend. Chaos, or uh, konton, means the universe itself. 
In ancient Chinese legend, it says that long time ago, there lived Mr. Chaos. He had no eyes or nose. And this is pointing to our own essential nature. And although Mr. Chaos was completely free, others came in and tried to bore holes in his eyes and nose and mouth, which resulted in his death. And it's just a story to express the preciousness that we so diligently destroy. Our own preciousness that we go against. Why? Because we go along with what arises in the mind. Because we reject. Because we deny. We create something out of nothing. Now, putting a handle on the ball, why? Ball is perfectly fine, right? Without a handle. Why not leave it alone? Why not leave this one here sitting on this cushion alone? Who's saying that something's wrong? Who's saying that perfection has to be arrived at by accumulation, by tweaking, by changing anything? The verse, magnificent, clearly outstanding. And the footnote says, if you go on investigating further, you will have to say the words dull and inconspicuous. Leave it alone. It is magnanimous, magnificent, clearly outstanding. The second you think about that, it's actually, it becomes in question. Because if we question it, we question it. Then sometimes it may feel magnificent, sometimes it's not. Based on the arising thoughts, based on discrimination, based on karma, based on feelings, based on my opinion. So each of us, this life, the life we live in, this planet we reside in, all of it is magnificent, clearly outstanding. All we need to do is just get out of the way and allow this magnanimity, this magnificent preciousness to function as it will. And then when we learn to not follow along with thoughts and emotions, this magnanimity becomes available. The next line, clamor pierces the head. Of course, when we follow along with thoughts and emotions, the voice in the head becomes louder and louder and louder. And it does pierce the head. Walking along in tranquil places. No thoughts are realized. There's empty. Peace is attained. Underfoot, the thread is cut and I'm perfectly free. And the footnote says, walking freely to the land of the immortal. So the string is cut. Threads. What binds you? What is trapping you? Maybe another way to ask that. When the thoughts are not grasped, or when we don't turn to the mind to ask, how do we answer this question? What is trapping you? Say nothing. Maybe I'm free. How about that as an option or as a possibility? Maybe I'm not trapped. When the thought comes up, subsists for a while and then disappears, am I not free? An ancient master said, let go of the gross elements. Don't grasp. 
Within the nature of quiescence, drink and eat as you may. All activities are impermanent. All is empty. This is the great complete awakening of the realized ones. But then again, all those great sayings, all the teachings are there to point us to ourselves so we do the same, so we realize it on our own. The spot on the mud, the spot of mud on the nose is gone. You don't need to chop. This is uh, in ancient times where there was a kingdom of Ray in China. One day, a man put a dab of white mud on his nose and then Shoseki, a master axeman, was asked to remove the dab of mud with his axe. Great master that he was, Shoseki swung his axe with a single stroke and removed the dab of mud without injuring the person's nose. When we realize, when you realize that the mud on the nose is just made up, there's no need to chop. When we realize that the extras are actually not there, there's no need to chop anything. There's no need to resort to dangerous actions. There's no need to take ourselves to such extent of madness. There is a need to realize, though. Don't be disturbed. That's the next line. And it's the footnote says, Already, this is administering a disturbing measure. So even saying, do not be disturbed, that is already creating a thought of, I am disturbed, I am not disturbed, I want to be undisturbed. So even that is saying too much. And the last line says, a prescription written on a thousand-year-old paper. Now, when this was compiled, this collection, it was a thousand years, about a thousand years after Shakyamuni has passed. Now it's 2,500 years. So it's a much older paper. The prescription is there. Who is going to fill it and administer it? So the instructions and the teachings are very simple. Yet it takes a combination of great determination and courage to apply them and to not follow along with our habitual and emotion, thoughts and emotions. And the footnote, usually footnotes are a bit longer than that, but in this case, the footnote to each of those lines is saying one thing. At all times do not produce deluded thoughts. No. Also, do not try to annihilate deluded states of mind. No. In the realm of false conception, do not apply knowledge. No. And do not find reality in no knowledge. No. That's it. Do we need more than that? Do we need elaborate description, footnote? long discussions or is that enough and in some the, the four lines this koan brings up are guiding us to watch the movement of mind give it space to do what it does and not form any fixed ideas about any of it to simply learn to rest in this without trying to define analyze or explain it by any standards. This undefined spaciousness is actually our natural state of being, which, when realized, can put an end to our harmful propensities we constantly propagate in the world. And it is urgent. Very urgent, maybe more so today than ever. And very relevant. Just you probably follow the news. Right? When we have a, a Congress member who uploads on social media an animation of himself killing another Congress member 
and attacking the president and getting away with that. Not only that, but being supported by members of his party. And then a 17-year-old is walking around with semi-automatic weapon, killing a couple of people and legally getting away with it. What is that saying to us about us? About what, what we have created as a society? And this is why it's so important that we maintain a practice, that we maintain a sound, real practice, not just Let's do this so we can forget about the madness of the world. No, let's do this so we can understand why we are so mad. Let's see the way it is. Let's look at the root causes of all of that. Because the way, those just two examples I brought up, this is going to create much more of the same. More violence, more divisiveness, more hatred, more systemic racism, and further discrimination. Right? I'm going to take the law into my own hands. Why are we giving 17-year-old a gun? Letting this person run around and kill people. We should look at ourselves. So I'll finish with uh, this is for about non-abiding for Master Zheng Zhao, Chinese Buddhist monk from the fourth century, disciple of Kumara Jiva. He said, "The mind is like water; when it is still, there is reflection; when disturbed, no mirror." Muddled by folly and craving, fanned by misleading influences, it surges and billows, never stopping for a moment. It's like trying to look at the flowing stream to see your appearance. It never forms. If you take the movement of mind as the basis, then existence is born based on significations. When the reason completes its initial movement, there is no more basis. If you take nothingness as the basis, then existence is born based on nothingness. Nothing is not based on nothing. At this point, there is no more basis. At this point, there is no more basis. And when there is no more basis, we actually stop creating further madness. So please maintain the practice, maintain it well. You fall down, you get up. You feel discouraged, you feel encouraged. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because it, it does matter greatly that we see what happens when we don't maintain the practice. Thank you.